Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. Hope everybody had a restful, long weekend. I took a four-day weekend where I didn't put out a newsletter, didn't do a podcast, didn't do much of anything. And so I suppose I should feel a little bit hungover, but I, I kind of feel ready. And of course, Tim Miller has been in Hawaii, so he is tanned, ready, and rested. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Mahalo. So you're still on Hawaii time. I am still on the holiday time, so it's going to take me a little bit to get warmed up this morning. So you're going to have to carry us here the first 10 minutes. Okay, well, I'll I, get my juices flowing. I, all right, well, I have a, I have a rant. I, I feel it's building in, inside of me here. Great. And, of course, there are, are two schools of thought about political commentary. Actually, there's many more than two, but let's just <laughs> stay. Let's, you know, this is my story. We have two two versions, one of which is that it's very important that we deal with the big, important issues, right? And that that we deal with substance because we are very serious people. That's school number one. Number two is, uh, second school would be that, that it's important to point out how incredibly stupid our politics is. And, and therefore, it's a public service to talk about the stupidity of our politics as well. So I figure it's Monday, right? We're both coming off a long holiday. So let's let's go with door number two. All right. Okay, I was going to say, why not choose both? You know, well, we will, why we'll not go, a little candy yeah. and a little a little spinach. We're going to we'll work up to this. Okay. okay? All right. So just a little test here. You, you, you'll know this. So if if you went out to buy like a KitchenAid artisan mixer, how, how much would that cost roughly? You think? Just hmm. eh, KitchenAid artisan mixer. I don't yeah. know. And art, it's artisan, uh, yeah, which yeah. is the key word there. It's not just a mixer. So if it's artisan, I'm going to say probably 200 bucks. Okay, it's it's about 350 bucks. Okay. So so anybody in America mix, that has, oh. I, I don't know. You know why I, I wouldn't have got this. See, this is my way of backing into the whole, what is the whole Kamala Harris pot thing about? That she went to Paris. Now, okay. There, there are legitimate stupid stories. I, I, I look. I, I think it's legitimate to kind of drag her for her Jesse Smollett, um, where, where she said, you know, he was the victim of this lynching and what a great American he is. He turns out that he that he made the whole thing up. Okay, okay, that that's legit. But I actually, this whole thing where the Republican Party is tweeting out stuff about her, the pot she bought in Paris. Okay. Okay. So I this apparently was broken by the kids at the Washington Free Beacon, because of course all of our our politics are, are now being written by you know mouth breathing twelve year olds. But um, so uh, here's the the breathless story: amid economic turmoil and calls to buy local in the United States, Vice President Kamala Harris dropped nearly four hundred dollars for a single pot at a boutique shop in Paris. The Washington Free Beacon has learned. Overseas last week on a four-day diplomatic trip to mend U.S. relationships with France, Harris stopped at a pricey cookware shop outside the Louvre Museum, where she dropped hundreds of dollars on various kitchen items. The big-ticket items in the hall were a $375 serving dish and a $160 frying pan, the Parisian specialty store told the Free Beacon. The vice president rounded out her purchase with various smaller accessories— such as porcelain uh, and an egg dish. Okay, anyway, blah, blah. copper cleaner, various wooden spoons. This is journalism, man. Altogether, Harris spent 526 euros, which amounts to roughly $600 at the current exchange rate. Reporters joined Harris at the store as she browsed, blah, blah, blah. The vice presidential uh, shopping spree came as American stateside suffer. 
from the worst inflation in three decades, putting strain on both consumers and small businesses. An American visiting Paris at the same time as Harris said he visited the store as well and was shocked. 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 When a store clerk told him what Harris bought, given the economic challenges back home. I was surprised that our vice president was out purchasing boutique pants in Paris, the tourist, told the Free Beacon. She proclaimed at a press conference today earlier that her focus was on the American worker. Okay. Deep breath, deep breath. This is her own money. Okay, so it's it's not like she's been. I want just want to make this clear. She's in Paris. She buys stuff, and it's like this big, and it is everywhere. It is everywhere on social media that she bought this expensive pan. Tim, it's almost like people <laughs> forgot the last fucking guy and what he spent money on. We we just had a president who spent money on golden toilet seats, who spent $130,000 paying off a porn star, mm. and yet well, Americans... Well, buying American, at least. <laughs> um, it was buying American. It's keeping, uh, it, keeping it real. I will say this, Charlie. Uh, look, I, I, the free beacon, uh, that's mm. obviously a trolley thing. I, I'm of the view that a thousand flowers should bloom. I don't, I don't know that they're adding a whole lot to the civic discourse with that article, but you know, whatever. I, leave the free beacon out. Yeah, I the, just, tell, right, the I, telling I, thing the, is the, that, like the actual Republican National Committee yeah, is, right. is is push, is pushing this stuff out, and uh, you know, I, I obviously think that there is this you know attempt to otherize her and you know make her seem you know I'm sure there's a racial element to it, but it's also just as this coastal elite, you know, this uh, you know Tucker Carlson did the segment on her about how. She went to high school in Canada. Do you remember this recently? Oh, and and, wow. and now, like, yeah, she's, she's not really American. Uh, uh, she's not American in in, in that uh, sense, right? If you didn't go to high school here, you don't you don't really have the full American experience. I, so it's part of this broader who, effort who, to otherize okay, her. I, 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 under, I understand that you want to like elevate this discussion by using words like otherize. Yeah. I just want to know who gives a shit whether she buys a <laughs> pot or not. I mean, really, she buys a pot with her own money. You know, somebody was posting on social media over the weekend that picture of of, of Trump in Trump Tower with Melania and Barron riding the yeah, stuff. Yeah, the Versailles. It's like, okay, because we are really, really concerned about austerity suddenly. Yeah, so prudent. we're just not supposed to buy stuff because we're all sitting here. I'm sorry, Tim. We're just huddled in the corner. All these God assholes. Bless us, everyone. <laughs> All these assholes, by the way, <laughs> shaking their copper pots for for coins out there. Uh, you know, oh, we're man. all remember they were all get. Where were they all gathering the last four years? By the by the way, at the Trump at the Trump Hotel, you know, paying services to the to the to the God King, and 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 you know, if you go look at the menu at that lounge. I mean, these people are running up, you know, fr- French French pot style prices just for one little happy hour. I mean, you know, they're offering hundred fifty dollar caviars and you know those you know rock hard steaks for ninety bucks a pop. And but Americans weren't suffering then. Americans were living large. Oh, so they're really okay. Large. Hey, speaking of Mar-a-Lago, which I which I want to do. Um, I understand that they're having Veep tryouts down there. That people have to trek down to Mar-a-Lago, and you know, kneel on the golden pillow. So <laughs> tell me about that. I, I, I missed that story this morning. Um, yeah, it's, uh, 
it's telling. Uh, the, the short of it is that Trump is already thinking about his VPs. Every trigger warning for everybody out there. Um, the next time around, obviously, um, uh, uh, Mike Pence um, is out of the mix. Um, what, what he's looking for is a running mate who, with unquestioned loyalty who will embrace the baseless claims that the 2020 election was stolen from him. This story is from my friend Mark Caputo, who's, who's based down there in Scoot, Miami. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's going to be Candace Owens. It's yeah, I enjoyed Candace this Owens one. Or, or Lauren well, Bobert. You're in the right ballpark, I guess. Um, he, he he gave three categories um, of potential running mates: um, a person of color, a woman, or someone that he trusts. Um, and yeah. from the first two categories, he's already had an interview with Tim Scott. And here's the report from a source: It was a really warm interaction. Scott was appropriately deferential without being gross like some people are. I mean, what like what is like what is what are these people doing? I mean, Tim Scott what is, you know, if you ask anybody who's a centimeter to the right of us in in what they want for the future of the country, like they they, they mentioned Tim Scott. Tim Scott's supposed to be like the normal potential alternative and he's trekking down to to Trump's golf club to bend the knee to be appropriately deferential to let these like D minus minus list Goombas give quotes to Politico on background about how supplicating he was. I, I, why, for what, for what? Like he doesn't, if he wants to stay in the Senate, he doesn't need this. Like nobody's going to primary Tim Scott. You know what I mean? Like, like there are always these excuses. It's like, oh, you have to do this for political purposes, right? Like, oh, uh, you, you, Tim, you just don't understand uh, how rough it is out there. You haven't worked a Republican primary in five years now, and you know you you just yeah. got to do this. You got to do this. It's, Tim it's, Scott it's, doesn't it's have any elections. Yeah, he's he's humiliating himself for what the, the well, possibility the, the, of maybe being the VP that gets hanged, Tim Scott. Next time out on the out on the mall, that's what he's humiliating himself for. Long line signing up for the humiliation, I guess. I I, I wrote about Kevin McCarthy, who, and again, this is kind of an old story, and I'm sorry if you've heard this before, but apparently he called up uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene over the weekend to, you know, kiss up to her because Marjorie Taylor Greene is threatening his dearest ambition of being speaker. She said uh, she went on Matt Gates's podcast and said he doesn't have the votes to be speaker unless he, you know expels Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and all of those Republicans that voted for the recon the not reconciliation the bipartisan infrastructure bill and look you know I I'm I'm definitely old enough I don't know about you Tim I'm old enough to remember when a leader of a party um the speaker in waiting would not have uh given the time of day to a freshman uh backbencher you know bitching you know off in the corner um, in fact, would have you know slapped her down, but that leader is not Kevin McCarthy, and he's on the he's on the phone um, assuring Marjorie Taylor Greene that don't worry, Marjorie, uh, you know you're still calling the shots around here. And here's my question: So, do these guys do all this to get power? Right? Isn't Supposedly. that the Okay, so they get power, and what is that going to be like? Since you got into power by humiliating yourself, making yourself small, displaying your weaknesses and lack of character whenever asked. What do you think it's going to be like? What would the what would the great legacy of the speakership of Kevin McCarthy be? Because it's like, yes, sir, may I have another one? Because it's going to be a two, four year, whatever, spanking at the hands, not just of the former guy, but of every random 
bigoted crackpot freshman congressman out there that wants to take a whack at him. I, I, I don't know. I see this is where we're out of step because I actually think that people ought to have some sort of self-respect. Yeah. Well, you can see where the power is, right? And like the power here is obviously in Marge, Taylor sure. Green, you yep. know, and not not in McCarthy. I you know, it's not you're not even getting the power. You're not wielding it. You're still, you know, having to to, you know, diffuse it out to the craziest members of of the party. And and with Kevin, uh, you know, there's an interesting quote in in one of the stories about this, where or, or from um, it's not one of the stories from Green's podcast with Matt Gates, and boy, I bet that mu- that must be a high highly rated podcast, Matt Gates's podcast. Think about the, you know, just the Florida State University young Republicans who are listening to that. There must be tens of them. Um, and uh, but Marge said on the podcast um, to Matt that that you know John Katko. This guy isn't even a Republican. This guy, and 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 here's a and here's a moment where I'm kind of like, what? Marjorie Taylor Green, maybe maybe Marjorie Taylor Green is right about something. Maybe this is a broken clock moment, and maybe John Katko should should wake up because if Kevin Get McCarthy out. has to right, look who who is Kevin McCarthy serving in that caucus? It's not John Katko. It's Mar- it's Marjorie Taylor Greene, and like they're mad because you know they lost this this vote that Kevin McCarthy had nothing to do with that Nancy Pelosi put forth, and so they want vengeance. They want to kick John Katko out of the party. I guess I just don't understand why. You know, eventually one of these guys, one of these days, is just going to say, "Okay, I'll leave yeah, then." I'm, right? I'm I'm done. All right. Since know. we're on the subject of deplorables, uh, Lauren Boebert, of course. Uh, oh, everybody knows this story by now. As you know, on caught on on tape, joking about Elon Omar um, being a suicide bomber terrorist. You know that she's she tells the story. I look to my left, and they're in an elevator, um, and and there she is, Elon Omar. And I said, well, she doesn't have a backpack. We should be fine. <laughs> so I don't know what whether what Democrats should do about her. But over the weekend, Lauren Boebert apologized. And Marjorie Taylor Greene put out a tweet basically ripping her for apologizing. Never apologize. You should never take the L in this particular word. So so Marjorie Taylor Greene is, I mean, she's feeling it, isn't she? I mean, she is the enforcer for the deplorable caucus as well as everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess Bober does, does the tweet because she is what? I mean, I worried that she's going to be criticized for other people. And this is, I think, again, where Marjorie Taylor Greene is has demonstrated that that insane nihilistic worldview is the predominant one because she knows that that you, you don't have to worry about the idea that anybody with any authority within the Republican Party is going to do anything to you if you make overt racist attacks on other members of Congress, on anyone for that matter. I mean, this is, you know, a uh, feature, not a bug, of what people are looking for um, in their in their politicians. I, I think that Bobert probably just figures, uh, you know, her, her fans know that this is a wink, wink, nod, nod apology um, because she's not changing her behavior in any in any meaningful sense. And, uh, you know, this is just kind of what... what you know, these folks have wrought, right? That, yeah, that we yeah. just have to, that we, you know, that that, that is just, a, a, you know, acceptable discourse. If, if Democrats cannot make these folks the face of the Republican Party and score points with this, then they ought to get into a different line of work. Maybe they ought to sell kitchenware or something. I don't know. So hey, some good news, a yeah, little sure. bit of good news while we're in the middle of this. So uh, <clears throat> the 
anchor for Channel 9 News in Denver is named Kyle Clark. He's great. And he, I, I, this is my first, first uh, trip to the rodeo with him, but he, he had a, a monologue uh, on, you know, Denver local news about Lauren Boebert. And I, I wonder how many other local news outlets have held their local officials accountable the way that Kyle Clark did. So here is uh, Denver's Kyle Clark, anchor for Channel 9 News, the local NBC affiliate in Denver, talking about Lauren Boebert. Representative Lauren Boebert launched an Islamophobic attack against fellow Congresswoman Ilhan Omar on the House floor today, suggesting that the Congresswoman from Minnesota is involved in terrorism, calling her a member of the Jihad Squad and repeating an unsupported smear that Omar had married her brother. The Jihad Squad member from Minnesota has paid her husband, and not her brother husband, the other one, over a million dollars in campaign funds. This member is allowed on the Foreign Affairs Committee while praising terrorists. It's time that we acknowledge something that may be obvious by now. We hold Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boeber to a different standard than every other elected official in Colorado. We hold Congresswoman Boebert to a far lower standard. Mm. If we held her to the same standard as every other elected Republican and Democrat in Colorado, we would be here near nightly chronicling the cruel, false, mm. and bigoted things that Boebert says for attention and fundraising. This is not about politics. Assuming politics is still about things like taxes, national security, healthcare, jobs, and public lands. Yeah, no. This is about us as journalists, recognizing that we'll hold a politician accountable if they say something vile once, but we won't do it if they do it every day. Our double standard is unfair mm -hmm. to all the elected officials in Colorado, Republicans and Democrats, who display human decency. So, Tim, your thoughts? Yeah, well, Kyle's great. Everybody should follow him on Twitter. I've been following him for a while. Hmm. That's uh, Denver. He's my you know hometown local news guy. He's, he does he does an excellent job. Um, I'll say this: um, this is what what he said. You know, is giving me deja vu because it is yep. exactly what you used to say about Donald Trump. And and here is the thing: the the the, the analogy I used to make is. Uh, you know, in I guess it was in the nineties. Um, I, I I've kind of given up on hockey. As you grow up and become an adult and have children, <laughs> you run out of time to do all the sports, right? You got to oh, give some. Know, of, you got to give yeah. some of them away. So I've given the hockey away. But but when I was a child and I had no no time for anything, I had, I had plenty of time for everything. I watched all the sports. And, and the, there was a New Jersey Devils team then that essentially their strategy was we're going to do basically a penalty level infraction on every play. Right, like we're gonna hold, we're gonna grab, we're gonna trip, we're gonna hit, and we're gonna basically dare the refs to call a penalty on every play. And it's human nature to not, right? It's human nature to just not do that, and and to kind of create some sense of faux balance. And, and this was the media problem running into Donald Trump, and it's what it's what Kevin just said is like he can't do you know, the crazy Lauren Boebert hour every night. And and the analogy breaks down in, in that there's another additional problem for the media members, which is even if they did do it, you know, I, the refs in the hockey game could call a penalty every play and that would have an impact. If Kevin did do that, it would start to lose its impact, right? Like people would stop caring and be like, oh my God, another crazy, just here's crazy Lauren again, but she's still in there. You know, there's this sense that you can't do anything about it. I know a lot of listeners have this sort of frustration that, that builds over time. It's like, well, she's still in there. Why are, what, what good is another angry segment about her? And, and so uh, she, people like her and Trump use this to their advantage and, and, and they're creating a model 
for others, when you look at this next wave of people, the Herschel Walkers and the Josh Mandels that are coming in, who are going to take that model and and advance it. You know, Tim, that was a really, really good analogy. I really like that because I I think it does illustrate the way people like this break the system, that that, that there's no template for dealing with it. We get exhausted as human beings. You know, how many front page stories can you do about somebody who is lying? And that really does define where we're at right now. And, And it is broken. And I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I don't think there's an easy answer for doing this other than, you know, talking about the same thing over and over and over again. Okay, so I want to talk about the uh, Omicron. Is that how you pronounce it? Omicron. Omicron. Uh oh, I sure. Am. I was in Hawaii. I was in Hawaii. I was learning how to. I was learning how to pronounce Mauna. And uh, you how'd know, you do? You know, Waikoloa. Not well. Yeah? Um, okay. So I forgot to get. I got, I got to get up to speed on my Greek, and I was not. I went to all boys high school and was in the closet in college. So I decided that a fraternity mm-hmm. was not really. No, you know no. what I was needing at that at that moment in my life, so I, uh, I I didn't I didn't learn my Greek alphabet. Okay, so we'll get to that in a moment. Okay. Um, so uh, Matthew McConaughey is not running for governor in Texas. Interesting, because the actor was polling pretty well against Greg Abbott, which leaves the field pretty much open to uh, Beto O'Rourke, uh, who of course everybody knows who Beto is. Uh, ran unsuccessfully against uh, Ted Cruz, although raised a ton of money, ran unsuccessfully for president, although raised a ton of money, uh, and is now running for governor of Texas. And I think it's fair to say that, Tim, you are not a huge Beto fan, or how would you describe it? I, I, yeah, I that's not exactly right. right. I would yeah. say okay. I, I have kind of a soft spot for Beto, actually, yeah. which is why this is painful. You know, this is like delivering bad news to to your friend. You know, it's yeah. like, man, I just, I just don't think that this life path that you're on is working for you right now. You know, you ask, you want to just have a beer with them? I'd like to just have a beer with Beto and be like, you got a lot of skills, man. I just, I just don't think this is the right path for you. So, I, who, who knows? I've been wrong before. My predictions are not perfect, but I, I just don't see how somebody who ran to the far left of the National Democratic primary is the best candidate for winning an off year election in red texas um particularly uh in a year that's likely to, to to be good for republicans at least better for republicans than when he last ran for sure um and so I, it just doesn't make any sense as a strategic point and you know i wrote about this back in california uh, you know the republicans make the same mistake too the idea of running a base first candidate a candidate that's going to rile up the base uh, that matters but but persuasion also matters. They both matter, right? And 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 in a state where you're in a hole, like I, I'm forgetting off the top of my head, I think Trump won Texas by eight. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, if you got to gain eight points, you know, uh, you, you either have to depress the Trump voters by that much. You know, that's not going to happen in an off year. Or you have to turn out more Democrats. Is that really going to happen for Beto over Biden? Uh, you know, maybe a small amount. Or you have to win over some people, right? Like those are the only options. It's a, you know magical. You know, you know, young people who are excited about Beto aren't going to just appear out of the woodwork. Uh, you know, surely there's been some population change in Texas, but just not not enough. That's all in the margins, and so I just don't see how he's the right candidate. McConaughey, say what you want about him. You can imagine him winning over some Trump people, right? Uh, you can imagine um, him bringing in some people who are just completely non-political to the process. Uh, 
I, I liked in his video. Uh, maybe I'm an exception here. I have a, I, I have a soft spot for McConaughey, just like I do for Beto. Uh, this is my, as a geriatric millennial. I think that these guys are probably just right in my wheelhouse. So maybe I'm not representing the broad electorate here. But uh, you know, his first two minutes of his message was a was a concerted effort to speak to Republicans in Texas. And if you're going to win a midterm in Texas, you need to have a con- make a concerted effort to speak to Republicans. Beto actually kind of got this the last time. The last uh, you know, time, he, yeah. He ran as a le- as a progressive, but he was his language was aimed at talking to swing voters, at getting people comfortable. Um, you know, I, I have some friends that work in Austin who are professional. Republican types, they, uh, uh, you know, not, not professional Republicans as they work in Republican politics, but like, you know, they work at natural gas companies or whatever. And, and they liked Beto and, and their friend group kind of liked Beto last time. They thought he's a little liberal for them, but the Republicans have gone crazy and, and that's fine. I, now, you know, as he's gone, as he's, as he's moved, moved left, you're losing some of those folks. I think he's in a worse position than he is in last time. I thought that McConaughey was, you know, not the perfect governor, obviously, but I thought he was an interesting effort to break the mold in Texas, which is what Democrats need. And I just, in a state as big as Texas, it's frustrating for to me, Charlie. I just, I refuse to believe that there's not one, you know, rich, de- you know, where is the Glenn Youngkin of Texas, right? Mm. Who is a Democrat? Like mm. there's not one rich kind of, somebody with conservative disposition, you know, maybe somebody who owns some guns, you know, somebody who speaks with a Southern accent who can like go out there and say, I, you know, you're, you don't have to be scared of me, uh, but I'm not crazy. Like these assholes that want to have bounties on women that, that, that don't, you know, that are going to fly to Cancun during a, during a energy emergency, you know, and go through all. And there's plenty, there's a whole darn long hit list of, really outside the mainstream far-right uh, uh, agenda that has been pushed by Patrick and Abbott, can, find somebody who can make that case, make the case, make it be about them. I, I, a race about Beto is going to be about Beto, and I just think that's a loser. Yeah, see, that's what's important. Well, I, again, leaving Beto aside just for a moment, there's also this phenomenon of the out-of-state money where uh, certain people become yeah. superstars in the party, and they they will raise money from every place other than the state they're actually running in. And there's a disconnect between how they play in the state and how they play, say, in Hollywood. So one of the concerns about somebody like Beto O'Rourke is that he's going to suck a huge amount of national money out of races that might actually be competitive. There's kind of a delusion among some of these folks. And there are, you know, you know I, I, we, we've had this in Wisconsin as well. I, I think there's going to be a lot of out-of-state money for um, our Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, who's running against uh, Ron Johnson, if Ron Johnson runs for re-election. And I got to tell you, I, I think Mandela Barnes becomes the nominee. Johnson's got another six years. It's just, it's, but out state, he's going to look like a superstar. You know what I'm saying? He's going to, he's right. going to play. He's going to be the guy. Uh, same way that we, I think we had a candidate for Congress in Paul Ryan's old district that was really big on cable news. The Iron Anybody Stash. Local- and anyone locally would have told you this guy is a complete train wreck. He's an internet troll. No, don't do this. But it didn't. There's almost no way to talk people out of this. And I'm sure this is true in other places as well. I'm sure that there were Republicans and sorry, Democrats in Kentucky who were saying, yeah, you probably don't want to dump a huge amount of money here. It's probably not going to happen. Doesn't make any difference. So I don't know. Changes the incentives. incentives too. You know? Yeah, no, exactly. The incentives is exactly right. And it's just worth mentioning. 
um, and, and think about this if you're not a state donor, right? Like what is appealing to you, right? And, and versus what is appealing to the median voter in the state of Texas or Wisconsin, right? And so if you're Mandela Barnes and, and your email fundraising campaign is raising in tons of money when you're calling, whatever, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse a white nationalist or whatever, uh, you know, then there's this, te- I, I, I'm not saying that Mandela Barnes did that. I'm just making no, this a notional right. example, right? I, I, you can You can imagine what the digital director for the Beto campaign or for the Mandela Barnes campaign, um, you know, might want to put, you know, because they, they look at their metrics, right? They're like anybody else. Their incentives are driven by how much money did I bring in this month? Campaign managers on my back, right? So if I, if I push the envelope and appeal to this more national progressive audience, it's going to pitch in 15 bucks. Um, you know, why not do that? Why not try to push the envelope a little bit on the text message campaign, on the email campaign, et cetera. Uh, but then that stuff gets all, you know, everybody sees that, right? It's not just the Hollywood liberals or the progressives all around the country who, who want to pitch in five or 10 bucks, you know, for various campaigns that see it. Everybody sees it. And that moves the message of the whole campaign away from, you know, what the median voter in their state wants. And so it, it does create a really bad you know incentive structure that's hard to kind of break out from you need a strong candidate that's able to say guys no like we're not you know we, we're, we're gonna we're gonna risk missing out on some of this low dollar money from out-of-state progressives in order to be best positioned for voters in the state and, and you know um, the kind of campaign the republicans are going to run with with, with better they're going to say he wants to take away your guns and everybody will right. say no 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 no, he doesn't want to take away your guns and then they'll play that soundbite where better rook says yes i do think we ought to confiscate everybody's <laughs> ar-15 now again do not inundate us with comments like this is a good public policy you know charlie and tim you don't understand we should take away we should go door to door and take away people's ar-15s because that would make fine just trust me, though, this is not going to play in Texas. If you want to be an elected official in Texas, actually calling for the literal confiscation of guns is not a winning issue. And I'm willing to die on that hill. OK, yeah, and if you, if you if you have polling showing me, hey, gun confiscation ranks right up there in Texas, uh, please share it with me. By the way, I, I think maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong about this and we got to test this theory out. But I think the Democratic electorate gets it. Uh, in, in a lot of places, I do. particularly I think so, in a yeah. place like Texas. And the Democratic electorate has demonstrated itself to be pragmatic time and again during the Trump era, and, and, which is the opposite of what Republicans have had to deal with in their primary their primary electorate, right? And and so, so I, you know, this notion that they have to run on the gun confiscation platform, I, I just don't I just don't think so. I just don't think that's right, particularly somebody like Beto. But I, anybody, I, I think that there that there's a, some leash from progressive voters that are saying, "I'm, uh, you know, maybe my perfect uh, uh, platform is total gun confiscation, but I'm happy to vote for somebody who runs an ad where they're, you know, showing off the fact that they like to hunt because they also support reasonable background checks and blah blah blah." I, I, I think a lot, you know, not every Democratic voter, not everyone on Twitter, of course. But a plurality of Democratic voters, I, I really do think, get that and, and get that there have to be these kind of minor sacrifices um, in order to be to be pra- practical. And it's the political class and among the Democrats that sometimes doesn't seem to get it. Okay, so we, we've, we've climbed the ladder up to now the serious subjects because we are right. serious people. We have to talk about the, the variant. Um, so um, Dr. Fauci was on, uh, was it CBS yesterday uh, with, with Marge Brennan? What I thought was interesting is that Dr. Fauci's kind of all out of Fs to give. Do you sort of get this sense? Let's play a couple of sound bites. Senator Cruz told the attorney general you should be prosecuted. Yeah. 
I'd have to laugh at that. <laughs> I should be prosecuted. What happened on January 6th, Senator? Ooh. Ooh. Do you think that this is about making you a scapegoat to deflect from President Trump? Of course. You have to be asleep not to figure that one out. Well, there are a lot of Republican senators uh, taking aim at this. I mean, That's okay. I'm just going to do my job. And I'm going to be saving lives, and they're going to be lying. Jeez, <laughs> he's just not holding back. Yeah. Uh, so can I? I have a bifurcated brain answer to the response to this, Charlie. On the one hand, I want to be like, "Yes, King. Yes, King. Thank you, Doctor Fauci." On the other hand, it's like, should maybe at this point, Doctor Fauci be a media personality, yeah. right? <laughs> separate from the government. I just I, that I just I do get some caution about this. Like at this point, I know Too that it's, I know that yeah. right, and I, it's so hot, and I and I know. That, that it shouldn't be like this. And I know this is unfair and that it's, and we're babying these, you know, co- the, the, these baby, you know, Republican voters who are, you know, refusing to get the jab to own the libs and, uh, you know, th- that we shouldn't have to, you know, change the way we behave to accommodate you know, their toddler esque behavior. I understand that in a vacuum, but like, this is politics. This is government. You have to be the government for everybody. And I just, I, I, you know, is is Dr. Fauci going out and doing these interviews, poking Ted and owning Ted Cruz, by the way, yeah. and owning Ted Cruz? Is that helping anybody who's not is, getting vaccinated get vaccinated or who, or who isn't getting the booster get the booster? I don't think so. There is this phenomenon, though, that draws people of substance into the world of being a celebrity, a personality, and that's yeah. almost never a good thing. I mean, that's, it's never a good, it does not enhance your credibility. And so he becomes just another figure in popular culture. Okay. So since I've been doing really intensive research over the last few minutes, hold on here, hold on. So you haven't been listening to my great takes that during this podcast, Charlie, you've been, while I've been talking, you've been on the Google machine doing some intensive research. Okay. Let's see how it is. I'm I'm trying to determine, let's see if this works. No, that's not going to work. I just see uh, it's, it's Omicron. It's the Omicron uh, variant. Omicron. Yeah. Um, look, this is a big deal. We got to take it seriously. There's no question about it. On the, on the other hand, the bottom line here is that we don't know a lot about it, including whether or not it's really makes people really seriously sick. And I'm looking at uh, the front page of a major national newspaper that will go nameless. And I, I think there's a half dozen stories about all of this. It crashed the stock market on Friday. And we don't know the really crucial fact about this. So... I wish we had the luxury of taking a deep breath and withholding judgment, but that's pretty naive, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I I, I thought that Noah Smith, um, who's got a subsect, did a really good newsletter about this where he, he sort of pointed out uh, a few things that go against narratives on, on both sides. I, I think that, number one, you do have to take it seriously immediately because you know, if, if you looked at what happened with Delta, it really was there was this moment of, should we take this seriously? Should we not? Like, what is this? We don't know. know. And like, by the time everybody realized, oh shit, this was a big thing. Delta was already had kind of already almost peaked, right? Um, and and so you know, it missed the window to act. That said, what does acting mean? And at this point, it's mostly boosters and vaccines. I I, just, I think that the reality is that that um, you know, depending on what we know about this, there are unknowns. Uh, the appetite for distancing and shutdowns and all that stuff has 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 dwindled to very little uh, in, in most 
municipalities. It was not the case in Hawaii, actually. Hawaii, you know, I think is unique mm-hmm. being an island um, that, that has been able to keep this out and has very, very low COVID numbers. But in most places, I, the appetite has dwindled. And so, uh, you know, the response is, how can you use this to once again reinforce with people that you need to get vaccines? And, and, and how can we do that in a way that gets out of our political tribal a fight, how right? Do, how, okay, how do you do it? I, I agree with you that that's, that's the challenge. But, you know, so today we wake up and um, I'm reading Axios and they're talking about all of the uh, Republican governors around the country that are um, using unemployment compensation uh, as a way of bonding themselves to the anti-vaxxers, uh, saying that if you lose your job because you refuse to take the vaccine, you are still eligible for uh, unemployment compensation. So Isn't we're basically- some of these same governors who specifically were against paying bounties to get vaccinated, uh, like Ron DeSantis, are now on board with paying people to not get the vaccine. So you would yeah. think this would be a moment where we would go, OK, let's put our differences aside. Let's do everything possible to protect ourselves from this. This is what we were warned against, that if we're not all vaccinated, this thing will mutate and everyone will be put at risk. But I don't sense any move on that. If anything, the folks at Fox News are becoming even more reckless. I mean, airing some stuff that I'm not even going to air the the audio of it because it would just, I, I think it would kill brain cells for me to have to listen to it. Against benefits for people who lost their job because of the pandemic. Against uh, money for people to incentivize them to get the vaccine. For benefits for people who want to quit their job yep. because they don't want to stop the pandemic. I, it, it is, Makes it sense, is completely right? upside down. It is completely undecided <sighs> as a public policy matter. And it'd be one thing if, you know, I, I, again, if you're just like, I'm a hardline fiscal conservative, it's none of this. It's all owning the libs all the way down. If I'm a hardline, I'm against unemployment benefits. Well, then, okay, you're against it across the board. You were against it during the pandemic. That was a stupid policy position to have. But uh, you know, that th- at least that's based in policy and principle. That- that's not what this is. And this is completely opposite of-, of what we should be doing. And then you look at the comments from people, you know, uh, if you go into the dregs of conservative media and, you know, you see, you listen to the Ronnie Jacksons, the congressman who used to be the Who's surgeon. actually a you know, doctor. He was a doctor, right? And yeah. they're like, the Democrats are making this up and they're going to give us boosters for the rest of our lives. And, uh, you know, this is all part of this plot. And it is just completely irresponsible. And I just, I, I, always, I just have to keep thinking back. There was this one moment, you know, for about two months back during the summer where, you know, your national review types, your responsible Republican types were like, Republicans are not anti-vax. You know, it's just the it's just the bulwark and the TDS people that are saying that Republicans are anti-vax. I mean, look, Ron DeSantis, he got the vaccine himself. Why these guys aren't anti-vax? And since that since that moment, every opportunity to take the responsible pro-vaccine decision or the irresponsible trolling the libs decision, they've taken the irresponsible yeah. trolling the libs decision. And, and so it's no wonder that you have people out there. And this is why when I say try to get outside of the political binary, there's going to be some folks that are so lost, that brains have been so broken by this, that sadly they're never going to get these vaccines because they're, they're, they're so, uh, you know, everything in their life has become so politicized and it's become so hardened that they won't consider it. But, but, but 
within these communities, there are other people who are just kind of going along with that, right? Because that's what is the norm in their, you know, in their conservative community. And those folks have to be able to be reached and we have to go out, you know, into foot. And this is why the Aaron Rodgers thing is so irresponsible. Yeah. You got to go outside into sports and into country music and popular culture and, and, and try to get to people that way. Uh, but because, you know, I mean, this is really never going to end if people never, that's the ironic thing about this. They're like, the Democrats never want this to end. It's like, no, they're trying to make it end. It really is never going to end if people don't get vaccinated. That's what's so upside down that, that there's no scenario in which the Democrats recover from where they're at right now. That does not include getting a handle on the coronavirus, right? I mean, there's none there. there if, if we are in the midst of the next variant next fall, they're dead. So uh, this is, this is this weird upside down, you know, you, you mentioned, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers and, uh, of course that, uh, that hits very close to home as a Green Bay Packer fan. Yeah. But where is the concerted pushback of the sort of the, the non or anti Aaron Rodgers? Why, why are we not being inundated with public service announcements from NBA stars, um, other more rational NFL players, Major League Baseball players, people from the popular culture. You know, that should have happened last year, but it seems really urgent right now that somebody would say, okay, this is the moment in which we are going to push all of it because that actually might influence some people. Might yeah, we should we should get a psychologist on Thursday Night Bulwark or something to try to because I'm sure there's a term for this, but uh, my answer is I, I think it's fear of the people with the most radical views, right? Like yeah, fear so. of offending their little sensibilities, right? So if you're a, you know, I'm, I'm trying to trying to think of a good kind of representative, you know, if, if you're like Nick Saban, right, and you're the coach of Alabama, and uh, you know, like, are you really going to go out there? And and do a pro vaccine thing. I mean, I, I think last year went right when they first came out. Some of these folks did this, but now, now that we're now that we've had this sort of six months of culture war, uh, you know, you're intentionally you're right. poking the finger in the eye, right? So you're scared. Whereas on the so other we're all, side, we're all hostage to the crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you're crazy, you don't give a shit what the normal people right. think, right? You're going to go out there and say, "I'm crazy. I'm an independent thinker. I'm not. I'm not the man. You know, I'm I'm not a simp to the man." And so you, you're you're going to keep keep doing it. I I I think that that is what explains it. I'm sure there's a psychological term for this, but that's well, that's why they're reluctant to do it. But it's not it's not a sufficient reason for them not to do it anyway. Right. You know, with people people dying. Hey, before we end here, I got to give you a shout out to your not my party that came out over the weekend. That if people uh, took a break from social media, they might not have seen it because you did something kind of radical. You actually said what I stand for, not what you. Well, you do say what you hate, but but also <laughs> what you stand for. What is your thing with Taylor Swift, by the way? Oh, I just wanted to pick on her. Everybody, I feel like everybody's on Team Taylor. She comes out with this ten minute video song attacking like Jake it. Gyllenhaal, and I, yeah. and I love Jake. You know, Jake was with the gays. Brokeback Mountain was was revolutionary. I mean, like they, they were not uh, yeah, uh, big his, movie stars. Biggs movies was he though it was 10 years ago i mean that's kind of crazy and if you come out and do a song about about an ex from 10 years prior uh that you guys dated for three months and that's kind of that's kind of crazy okay, that's kind of crazy behavior i think okay, anyway but, that's that's just my that's just my view i'm team Jim. but uh, but other, other than, that, than that okay other than that that one lapse in your judgment yeah. and taste um 
you know, you talk about what you stand for. And I, I, I mentioned right before the podcast, I was uh, a surprise and very much impressed. Speaking of like going up against maybe what the, the, the culture would expect from you. You made it very clear that you are still quite pro-life and are very explicit about it in this video. Yeah. Well, look, I uh, just, just for context, I'll get to that in one second. Uh, just for yeah. context, I, I, you know, have been getting messages. So the audience on Snapchat is different than the Bulwark audience, um, which is why it's cool. It's mostly younger folks. It's, um, uh, you know, overwhelmingly people under 25. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, they're a little less jaded by our, you know, all of our different political, uh, you know, a little less dug in in the trenches on their political side, particularly I think people that are drawn to not my party are more, you know, sort of politically kind of figuring their way. And and the piece of negative feet, and, and just one fun aside, I just want to brag for a second, the <laughs> video before this, the Kyle Rittenhouse video, Oh yeah, 2.5 million people watched that. And and that's not just like one click, but it was mo- it about was a third of them made it all the way to the end. You know, so almost a million people watched the whole uh-huh. thing. 2.5 million watched a little bit of it, which is, which is really amazing. Um, and, and I think cool for that we're kind of reaching this sort of middle audience mm-hmm. of younger mm-hmm. folks. But a- anyway, the, the piece of feedback I get the most is you're a, you're a soy boy um, and you I hate you uh, from MAGA teens. But the number two piece of feedback I get from good faith teens um, is that I... I Every week I'm like, oh, the, you know, Trump's crazy. The far left's crazy. Tucker Carlson's an asshole. And I, and I do less of, well, what do you think we should be doing? Like, what, what are you for? And so I wanted to take the holiday, holiday week to do that and, and to kind of chart a different, you know, you know, something that hopefully would resonate with some of those kids who also feel like, you know, maybe the Democratic Party, particularly on campus, that the, you know, the kind of lefty Democratic Party on campus might be they sense not not welcoming to them um, and that they're sure shit not Trumpers. Well, what are they? What can they be for? And so I kind of walked through a list of things and one of them um, was was being pro-life. And that talks about being pro-life, yes, um, for fetuses and for, you know, kids inside the womb um, and making sure that there are per- prote- protections for them, but also making sure there are protections for mothers, making sure there are protections for refugees, making sure there are protections for immigrants, protections for, you know, people, uh, obviously people who, who don't want to contract the goddamn novel coronavirus that have killed 800,000 people, right? That pro-life is broader than just abortion. Uh, but I, I didn't, I didn't want to shy away from it. And, and I hopefully really, what, what I hope is that there are at least some young folks out there who are watching who also feel that way, right? Who maybe they come from religious backgrounds and they're like, or religious families or, or not. You don't have to be religious to be pro-life, but, you know, maybe they, maybe they do come from a religious family and they're like, I don't like Donald Trump. Everyone around me is a Republican. I get these kind of messages. Everyone around me has gone full on MAGA and I'm still pro-life and I still believe in, in some of these values I was taught as a kid. But like I, these people have all gone crazy. Where is a home for me? And, and so I was, I was hoping that, that I could kind of speak out to them. Well, and you, and you did, and, and it's really excellent. If people have not seen your video on Kyle Rittenhouse, it's also um, probably, I, I think, the most uh, the most comprehensive, even-handed approach, even though it's very, very entertaining. Um, that's, that's not... It, <laughs> even-handed it, 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 and entertaining. Well, I want to stress that there's no moral obligation to be dull in these sorts of things. And simply because something is entertaining does not mean that it's not also quite substantive. And you ask the question, you know, who is Kyle Rittenhouse? Is, I mean, you have MAGA worlds making him into a hero. Uh, you have uh, the usual folks who are saying that he's, you know, a symbol of of, of hate and uh, maybe he's just an idiot teenager. Maybe a, there's a little bit of, you know, 
it, it's look, it's complicated. And generally in social media in particular, complicated and nuanced uh, don't survive very long. So uh, these are these are great uh, contributions. So uh, congratulations, Tim. Really, very good. Uh, thank you, man. It's been really fun to do them. I'm glad people are watching them. And if you've got a teen out there, you know, in your life, you're seeing over Christmas, tell them to tune in. I need more teens. I think that's an excellent idea. <laughs> so, Tim, thanks for coming on the podcast, especially the, the first day that you're back or just fresh back from Hawaii. So thanks for coming on this morning. Thanks, Charlie. Mahalo. And thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we'll do this all over again.